I'm turning today to the book of John, chapter 19. I want to do something just a bit different as we begin. I want to use John 19 as our introduction. Verse 1, Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath a greater sin. And from henceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him, Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into the place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, 
whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore, therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day, Sabbath was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came, out, came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate, that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Amen. I want to draw your attention back to verse number 30. It says, When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It's been said by many that the dying words of a man are often very important, sometimes very interesting words. People have written volumes of books about the last words of certain people. It becomes a source of interest. It becomes a source of discussion. But here you have the last words as the most important words I believe that the Bible even speaks. It is finished. All the word of God is important. All the word of God is equally as valuable. But there is nothing that carries the weight more than the last final words of Jesus. It is finished. It is these words that to those that are in Christ Jesus today, we find a great source of comfort. We find a great source of of faith, and it is worthy of our remembrance. It's worthy for us to stop and to think about these last words. 
Psalm 116 verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. It's often read at funerals, (coughs) memorials. But you understand that the preciousness of that is through the death of Christ who died for them. Death is not just is not precious for everyone. Death is precious in the sight of the Lord to those that are his. Because it's through the death of Christ who died for them, who died as the just for the unjust, he did that to bring his people unto God. It truly has been said and should be reminded each and every day that blessed are they who die in the Lord. Yet we understand that death is a rest from our labors. We understand that it is something that is appointed unto all men. But here's Jesus in his last moments, what we call those dying moments, yielding something that is the sweetest words that we may ever hear. They are words that do not leave any room for addition. They're not words that leave us with a place where we can say, now what do we do? It's finished. The entire work of Jesus Christ finished. These words spoken by he who was without sin, he who knew no sin, yet took upon him sinful human flesh. He took upon humanity, and yet these words are precious words to those that are in Christ. You can think about a lot of words that Jesus spoke. All of his words are important. But all of those words would have meant nothing if these three words were not spoken. He could have told about the grandness of heaven. He could have told us, and we could have watched the miracles. We could have watched him dumbfound Pharisees and the synagogues. But do you realize, had he not spoken these three words, all of those words would have been for nothing. Because in those three words, it is finished. Those are the most important words that he spoke. They are words of an immeasurable, infinite value. Because in those words, what Jesus was saying is he was announcing once and for all victory, triumph over sin, over the world, over Satan, and yes, over death and over hell. Those are the greatest words that those are in Christ have ever heard. It is finished. Those words should lessen our fear of death. They only lessen your fear of death if you're in Christ. If you are not in Christ today, death is a fearful thing. It is the most fearful thing. Because the words, it is finished, to the unbeliever, mean nothing. But to the believer, it means everything. We who are in Christ, we have a true union with Christ. Our faith is in Christ alone. And because Christ triumphed over death, 
we will triumph over death. Not might, will. The grave cannot hold those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who had the power of death and over the devil. Death was finished and Satan was finished. No person, no man, no woman, no child can die safely without, without an interest in Christ. There is no consolation in death apart from Christ. There is no consolation in those last moments without a spiritual knowledge of who Christ is. If you do not have communion with Christ today, if you do not have faith in His Word, you cannot even live this life happily. And you certainly will not die comfortably. This three words is the most important sentence in all the Word of God because in it, the entire Gospel is laid out. That declaration declares that the work of salvation, the work of the forgiveness of sins, the atoning work of Christ was in its totality completed when Jesus said, it is finished. In the original language, which I did not do a study on, I didn't think that part was necessary today, the word, the expression, the sentence, it is finished, is expressed in one word. It's not even a sentence. In our English, it is finished, but in the original language, it's just simply one word. These are the words pronounced perfectly by a perfectly holy and blameless, but yet dying Savior. It is important to realize that Jesus, in order for the work of atonement, the work of salvation, the work of redemption to be completed, actually had to walk and pass through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus Christ died. And when He said, it is finished, the Bible clearly says that He bowed His head and He gave up the ghost. He willingly dismissed His spirit. Yet the most blessed, most sacred book that is so easily forgotten and so easily neglected is the Word of God that tells us these exact words. Jesus Himself gives testimony about His own life. God the Father gives us this book that we may understand the most familiar and most quoted verse in all the world, even among unbelievers. No, John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can hold that sign up. You can put that on your body in some way. You can wear it on a chain around your neck. You can post it on the walls of your house. That doesn't mean you're redeemed. You can read John 3.16 a thousand times and that doesn't mean that you know Christ as your Savior. Yet many, many 
are taking comfort in thinking, I've heard about this Jesus. I've heard about this so-called Savior. I've heard about Him. But it's not just hearing about Him. Paul himself declared about Jesus himself. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come into this world to make it a better place. Although the world with Christ is much better. But that's not why he came. It is the Word of God that informs us that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's in the same book that informs us of how sin came into the world. The same book that tells us that Jesus came into the world to save sinners is the same book that tells us how we got here. Romans 5 says that sin came into the world by one man. And as a result of that one man, death by sin entered in. The gospel itself testifies to the fact that sin hath reigned unto death. Now that's bad news. That's terrible news. Sin reigned unto death. But Paul goes on in that chapter and he says, even so, grace Grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life. Not through self. Not through self-reformation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. The same Lord whose last three words were, it is finished. The natural man who's born, the Bible tells us, were conceived in sin we're born in sin and yet the bible tells us there is jesus the son of righteousness the word of god tells us he is the one that we are, we hear and we see who communicates that through his obedience even to the death of the cross he has announced and proclaimed that he has died for the sins of his people Jesus Christ's obedience. Perfect obedience. Yet Christ, when He uttered those words, He didn't offer those words as a possibility. He offered those words as a definite completion. He didn't make the work of salvation possible. He actually accomplished the work of salvation. Christ, when He uttered these words, it is finished. We know the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is not just a good man to be listened to. He is the foundation of all truth. Jesus Christ Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. He said, I am the life. I am the light of the world. Jesus' own testimony was, I am the object of faith. I am the gospel. There is no gospel apart from Jesus Christ. Christ is the salvation of His people on earth. But He's also the eternal glory of His people in heaven. 
He is love. He is infinite. His grace is matchless as we've sang today. There is no shadow of turning in Him. There is no variableness in Him. This Jesus is the most precious of all who have ever been given. And you can never get over this. This Jesus has objects that He loves. His people. The elect. We don't know how many sons and daughters He has. We do know the Bible says the number of sons and daughters that He has is according to how many the Father gave Him. That's a comforting truth today. I don't know how many millions that is. It might be billions. We don't know. But the great comfort is, is Jesus has people that He has set His love upon. And those people are the objects of His love. All those objects have one thing in common. They have many things in common, but one main thing they have is none of them were worthy of that love. None of us here today are worthy of being one of His chosen, one of His elect. Those the Father gave, the Son, Jesus Christ, gave Himself for. Who did Christ die for? Christ died for those the Father gave Him. Whose sins did Christ die for on the cross? The sins of the elect, the sins of those the Father gave Him. Not one more and not one less. But every single one that the Father gave to the Son became and is and will continue to everlastingly be the object of the love of Christ. That love surpasses any human knowledge we can even ponder or consider. It exceeds human thoughts. It exceeds human emotions. We're often bound by what human love is. This love is not normal, everyday human love. It's not even the love a husband has for his wife. And I would dare say it's not even the love a mother has for that child. This is a love that surpasses all knowledge. This is a love that cannot be replicated. It cannot be patterned after. And that love has been directed at objects who were so unworthy of it. And yet for some mysterious reason, God sets His love on people. Has He set His love upon you? Is His love set upon you? Does His words, it is finished, shout out to you, this is the love of a Savior. You see, to those that are His, those three words, it is finished, there's no words, there's no phrases, there's no Bible verse I can take you to that will surpass those three words. 
Because when you understand that your salvation is all of the Lord and you as one of his own were an object of his love, you realize those are the most important three words. Those are the most important dying words I've ever heard in my life. It is finished. Leaving us with absolutely nothing to do. This love springs from an everlasting love. This love brings joy. This love brings peace. This love brings a blessedness in Him. He is our eternal light. And He is our eternal glory. Jesus Christ, as we learned this morning, even at 10 o'clock, He's the express image of the invisible God. Christ is the brightness of the glory of the Father. He's the express image of His person. And somehow, some way, God in His sovereign providential decrees has seen worthy to set His love upon unworthy objects. Everyone in this room is unworthy. We're unworthy of the least of God's blessings. We're unworthy of even receiving anything. And yet this Jesus who is co-equal with God, co-eternal with the Father, co-equal and co-eternal with the Holy Spirit, has chosen a people for Himself. When was this love set upon His people? Before there was even time, humanly speaking. It's an amazing thing. We try to put a time stamp on when Jesus set His love upon us. That's what the glory of it is. It was before time. It was in eternity past. The three, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit loved the elect with an everlasting love. And again, if we're unworthy of it, then what was the cause of God's love towards us? Well, the cause of God's love towards us is in Himself. You say, what does that mean? That means the objects of His love is according to the good pleasure of His will. He set His love upon those whom He would according to the good pleasure of His will. Not according to our will, not according to what you want Him to do, but according to His own will. These persons, the elect, were the objects of His love before time began. I love what He said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 verse 3. And I hope this will resonate with us today. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Not a love that's temporal. Not a love that's conditional. Not a love that wavers. Not a love that's based upon our actions. But a love that is based upon an everlasting love. Out of this love, God chose a people in Christ, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world. In this eternal counsel, 
that no man has ever been witness to. This counsel of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You realize today, if you are in Christ, you are in Christ because you were chosen by Him. The church was chosen by Him. We are set up to be His bride. It's interesting that Jesus, and we'll get to this in a moment, in John 17, which is often known as the high priestly prayer of Christ, He speaks about how the Father loved Christ. I have never gotten over this, and I still, I struggle with this, humanly speaking. In the same manner in which the Father loved Christ, He loves His elect. He loves His people. He loves us with a love that is immeasurable, it is pure, it is right. And then Jesus Himself uses those words in John 15, 9. He says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Those are glorious truths, brethren. When He's speaking to the Father in John 17, 23, here's what He says, Thou hast loved them. Listen to what He says. Thou hast loved them as Thou hast loved me. How in the world can the Father love us like He loved His own Son? And yet that's the love that Christ has for His people. It leaves us almost dumbfounded when we think about how could we be loved with the same love the Father had for the Son? Because He loves us as He loves Christ. People ask the question often, how, are, how many are there? How many objects of His love are there? The truth is this, like I've already mentioned to you, you cannot diminish the number and you cannot increase the number. God the Father before the foundation of the world chose a number that would make up His body. That body would be headed up not by people, not even by pastors, not by elders, not by church boards, not by deacons, but Christ would be the head. If Christ is not the head, then it isn't a church at all. Christ is the head of the body. Christ died for the body. Christ specifically died for the sins of His people. Friends, I can only tell you today that the love that Christ has for His people is beyond any human comprehension or expression. People have tried to write it in quotes. People have tried to write books about it. But I'm telling you, there's no greater words of love than it is finished. I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have paid the full price for you. And if you know anything about that love today, then you know He died for you. And no man, woman, boy, or girl knowing that truth could leave here the same. 
To understand the words, it is finished, is to know that everything I am and all of my thanksgiving is to be directed at He who loved me and gave Himself for me. As the Father chose in eternity past, He chose a people through His Son that would become the church. That's why those expressions about the bride and the bridegroom, I hope you never take those lightly. Oh, what a picture that is of Jesus Christ as the bridegroom and the church, his bride. And the purity of that to present them blameless and faultless before the throne of God. Christ is our glory. The love of Christ to us is a gift directly from the Father. It passes all which can be conceived in earth or in heaven. To fully understand this and to fully understand what Jesus Christ has done for us, mankind was plunged into this sin by the sin of one, Adam. Original sin. Did the triune God know that Adam was going to sin? Of course he did. In many ways, we could say his fall was actually willed by the Father, that this would happen, but that there would be a remedy. There would be a Redeemer in which the Lord Jesus Christ, the head and the bridegroom of his people, in full obedience to his Father's will, became the substitutionary atonement for all who've sinned. And you might sit here today and you say, well, I'm grateful I've never sinned. You have sinned. You are sinning. And you'll continue to sin. But even if you lived a perfect life, which you cannot do, you are still guilty of the sin of one. You're guilty of the sin of Adam. Jesus Christ took on the substitutionary atonement. Jesus himself became sin for us. It was by his obedience that He put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Through His death, He conquered death. He conquered hell in order to present His people before the throne. Don't miss this. Righteous, holy, and spotless as though you had never sinned, as though you'd never been defiled. You realize that taking a sinner and making them righteous and holy spotless before a perfect God is a greater work than creating the entire world and all the worlds we can't see. Oh, we can marvel at God's creation, but there's nothing greater than taking an unworthy, unfit, undeserving sinner and making them fit for heaven. And yet you and I had nothing to do with it. This work... The eternal transaction is complete. 
between the Father and the Son. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. And don't miss the second half of that. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. What should have been imputed to us and been our eternal finality. All the sins we've ever committed, all the sins we are committing, and all the sins we will commit should have been imputed to us. And you should die and you should spend an eternity in a place called hell. But instead of imputing your sin, the righteousness of Christ was imputed into you. As soon as death entered into the world, and death by sin, God opened His grace. And today, Christ is being proclaimed Salvation was made known. Salvation is continuing to be made known. That salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. He Himself who triumphed over sin, triumphed over all the power of the enemy. He delivered all that needed to be done. Friends, to know the power and the promise of salvation, how that Christ the Lamb of God was set forth. The Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. It tells us where this grace originated from. It did not originate from our goodness. It did not originate from any thought of what we would do. How we would respond. His grace, His unmerited favor, was given to undeserving people today we have to be confronted with the reality of death it's not a it's not a nice subject but you understand that sometimes the dying words of a man are more than just interesting more than just discussion pieces they're words that bring you to a place where you have to consider where you are. Young people, you have to get over the reality that you're young. I don't have to worry about death. You have, to, you have got to move beyond the reality of that, that there is no guarantee of tomorrow. There is no promise. I'm not even a teenager preacher. I'm not even a young adult. I'm not even an adult yet. Why do I have to worry about that? Because it is appointed unto men. All wants to die. And then the judgment. And it is only in those who know the love of Christ and those beautiful words, it is finished, that there will be any consolation. To know the love of Christ is to know those words. It is finished. Do you know the love of Christ today? Has Christ died for your sin to the salvation of your soul? The Bible clearly says if we will repent of our sins and trust in Christ alone and believe upon Him. The Bible clearly says whosoever shall call those whosoevers are the ones that the Father gave to the Son. There's not one more or one less, but if you know the love of Christ, call upon Him today and say, Christ died for me. 
Friends, there is no easy way to put this. If you're not in Christ today, you are in eternal danger. You are in peril. This is not something for you to delay about and say, well, I need to think about this. Listen, if you know the love of Christ and you know what those words, it is finished, means, there's not going to be a delay. You are going to run to Christ and you're going to throw yourself upon Him and say, listen, I know Christ is the only way. It is appointed unto men once to die. And then the judgment. Hebrews 9, I want to conclude with this. Hebrews 9 gives us just a, just a, a, a picture of this. Hebrews 9 in verse 26 says, For then must He often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. As it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto death. There's some very important words in verse 28. Bearing the sins of many. It doesn't say that every single person will be saved. Universal salvation is a lie of the false teachers. Ultimately, the world does not end this way where everybody ends up in heaven. No, it says that He died and He bore the sins of many. The many is a reference to those who were the objects of His love. That specifically speaks to the elect. How do you know that those are the elect? It tells us exactly. And unto them, that's the elect, the many, that look for him. That's an important phrase. That look for him. Shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. When he comes again, he's not going to come Bearing the coming to die again. No, He's coming and bringing this final salvation. This final chapter of redemption. Today is the day of salvation. We know salvation is of the Lord and we would never dare even try to manipulate, try to emotionally capture you. But we would simply tell you this, that it is appointed. Man cannot change that date. Judgment will come. If you have not repented of your sins, today is the day of repentance. Today is the day to call upon the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. He will never turn anyone who calls upon Him away. It is finished. The completed work is finished. Jesus Christ do you know the love of Christ? Has He died for your sins? Call upon Him today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that Your Word